Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. I pray that you've already had a good morning. Thankful to be able to worship with you. Thankful to be able to sing songs that are gospel-centered and doctrinally true. Thankful that we can sing about the rich mercy of God. Uh, This morning, as you turn with me to Acts chapter 7, we're going to continue in the book of Acts. And this morning, we're specifically going to see a little bit more about the story of Stephen. Uh, If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, Stephen is one of the seven men that was chosen to serve. Uh, We believe is one of the first deacons, at least some of us do. and the, the widow distribution ministry that they had that took place daily. He's a man that, that the scriptures tell us was full of the Holy Spirit, was full of wisdom and grace and power because of the Holy Spirit. But even though this man seems to be doing good things in the community and serving people well and witnessing and telling about Christ, uh, there were some men, non-Christians, some Jewish men that did not like his work, did not like his teaching, so they set up false witnesses against him. Uh, they have this mock trial, and, and they've brought these accusations, some several accusations. I want to give those to you this morning, what the accusations are, because we didn't spend much time on them last week. Here are the four accusations that they make against him, and, and we don't have to, you can look back in chapter 6 if you want to, but... But they said that he was speaking against Moses, speaking against God, speaking against the temple, and speaking against the law. So I know some of you are like uh, real diligent note takers. If you're a really diligent note taker, you can write those down. These aren't going to be the main point today. But what we're going to see today is in this trial scene, Stephen is given the opportunity to defend himself. So they're going to ask him, hey, what, what do you say about these accusations? And he will defend himself about what he believes about Moses, what he believes about God, what he believes about the temple, or as it says, the holy place, uh, and what he believes about the law. But it's not the main point that he's making. And this is, this is beautiful. Last week we saw the promise of Christ that, that in the day and in the hour that we stand on trial or that we are being persecuted, the Holy Spirit would teach us what it was that we needed to say. And we see that here with Stephen. He He speaks to these accusations, but the whole time what he's really doing is pointing them towards Christ and how they've rejected Christ and how that's not something that we should ever do. And so the the text is lengthy today, so I really want us to get into it. And as we look, as you hear Stephen's speech, I'm going to let the vast majority of everything this morning be his speech here, the text that we'll read. I'll give some commentary as we go through it, make a couple of points, but really... He's giving a defense speech, very much like a sermon. And so we're going to let that stand alone as much as I feel like we can this morning. So look with me in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. As Stephen is standing before these elders and scribes and the high priests, says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. 
And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. So Stephen, you have to remember, you have to kind of put yourself in the context of what's taking place here. Stephen is a Jewish person a Hellenistic Jew, a Greek-speaking Jewish person, best we can tell, who has converted to be a Christian. He still identifies with the history of the Jewish people, right? He still refers to them as brothers and respectfully refers to them as fathers. He still sees Abraham as part of his forefather, as part of his lineage. But the difference is he also sees Christ as the Messiah, where they don't. So he's, this is a Jewish man that has become a Christian, standing before Jewish people, and he's recounting for them. And that's what we're going to see in this, this text today, is that he's recounting much of the history of the Jewish people, and he's going to use it to point to Christ. But here, one of the things that I do want you to notice is he's defending his view of God. He began there in just verse 2, And he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And and it's 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 a meaningful word when he says that God is the God of glory. And I didn't want us to miss it this morning. So he's showing profound respect and honor to God. But what he's saying is that, that glory is an attribute of our God. That glory is something that God possesses. And the idea is that God possesses honor and splendor. And and the word can literally be used to speak of the brightness of stars, the shining brightness that is unmistakable. He's saying that God possesses infinite worth. Our God, who is infinitely worthy and glorious. And then he goes on to say, this same God is the one that called Father Abraham. This same God is the one that made the promised land the promised land. He literally promised it to Abraham. And then he told him what was going to happen in Egypt, and it happened. And then he starts to recount the forefathers. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob. Jacob, whose name is turned to Israel, where the nation gets its name from. And of course, Israel, Jacob, Israel had 12 sons, one of them being Joseph that we'll see in just a moment. But the first point that we see here is that Stephen recognized God's glory. He recognized where all of this came from. He's not worshiping Abraham. He's not worshiping Isaac. He's not worshiping Jacob or Israel. He's worshiping God who has brought all of these men. God who has called these men. God who is the one that receives and is a glorious God. And I believe that if we ever stop for just a little bit and look back like Stephen is here and think about who we were before God and how we got from where we were then to where we are today, it would make us stop and realize how glorious God is as well. But he continues the story here in in verse 9. He says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. 
and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. So we see here, again, you have to remember for them, these are names that they know. I know for some of you, as I read these, it would be helpful if we stopped and spent some more time talking about exactly who these people are because we're not as familiar. But for them, every name that he's saying here is a name that they've heard hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of times during their lives. And so whenever he talks about our fathers, he's talking about the, the 12 sons that Jacob had. Jacob, again, is the one who's called Israel. He's the one that the nation comes from. He's the one that the name for the nation comes from. And so they know that Joseph was the one who had the dreams. He was the youngest son, and he has the dreams. Y'all know him as the one that had the coat of many colors, right? That's the Joseph that he's talking about here. So God chose Joseph to save them. God chose Joseph to be their leader. That was the dreams, right? That, that these different things, that there were 11 of them, and they bowed down to the one. And the brothers hated that Joseph saw himself this way. And they hated that they were jealous that he was the father's favorite. And so they throw him in a pit and they sell him to Egypt and they just reject him. He is the one that God has chosen to lead them and they reject God's plan. They reject Joseph as their leader. And that's point two. The children of Israel rejected. It's Joseph. I wrote Joshua in my notes, but it's supposed to be Joseph. Children of Israel rejected Joseph. He said, God, it doesn't matter if that's who you've picked. It doesn't matter if you've revealed that through dreams. We're not following him. But did God relent of his plan? No. He used this as part of the plan. So he goes to Egypt, and Joseph, through all the terrible things that happened in Egypt, comes to be in great power, and they're saved because of him. They find food because of him. They get to go to Egypt because God used him, because God set him up. But they rejected him. Then continues in verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? 
But the man who was wrongdoing his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So here we see, I know some of y'all are, are superhero fans, and, and I heard uh, just a few weeks ago on a podcast a, a line that I wanted to use. They talked about, and y'all understand this better than I do if you're superhero fans, but there's like an origin story for superheroes, and it's a big deal to kind of know where they come from, what's their backstory. And so here he gives us the origin story, if you will, of Moses. Right? They're in Egypt. And Pharaoh says, I'm tired of these stinking Israelites, and they're getting to be too many of them, and we're worried about them. So you know what? Every male Israelite needs to be killed. While they're infants, have them killed. And so that's when Moses is born in that time period. And even in that time period, it says that God, that he was beautiful in God's sight. And so God makes it so that Moses is kept alive, right? We know that story. He's in the basket and... Pharaoh's daughter finds him and keeps him and raises him in the palace. So even though he's been separate from his people for all these years and he's been raised in, in Pharaoh's home, one day it says that it came into his heart, verse 23, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. And I don't think that was an accident. I believe that that is the Lord calling Moses to go, giving him this desire to go to his brothers, the children of Israel. And so as he does, a lot of us know that story as well. He gets there. And, and here there's some added commentary that Stephen gives that's super helpful for us. In verse 25, he says, He, Moses, supposed that the Israelites would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. So this was God's plan. God's plan was Moses go and save my people. So Moses goes and he sees, we see a picture of that as the Egyptian is beating the one Israelite that Moses kills the Egyptian, right? And so you would suppose, all right, they see it. This Moses that God has saved in a miraculous way and that's been raised in Pharaoh's household has now come to us and he is delivering us. He just killed an Egyptian on our behalf. And then he sees two of them arguing with each other and he tries to be a mediator. Right? He says, brother, quit arguing. You're brothers. But instead of saying, yes, Moses, you're right, we should, they push him to the side and say, who made you a judge and ruler over us? And even though God chose Moses and sent Moses, put into his heart to go visit his brothers, they reject him as well. And that's point three. The Israelites rejected Moses. So they've rejected Joseph. They've rejected Moses. So he flees, goes into the land of Midian. He's there for 40 years. Stephen continues in verse 30. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire and a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to it, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, 
saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who has led us out of the, from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. All right, I'll take a deep breath for just a moment. It's a lot of text to take in at one point. I know you say, Brother Zach, why in the world are we going verses 1 through 53? But as you see, this is one speech. It has one point, and I don't want us to miss it. And so here we see it again. He's playing it up again, right? We have Abraham that God calls and sends and says, I will give you the promised land. And he has Isaac who has Jacob, and Jacob has Joseph, and God sends these dreams and that he's going to deliver the people by Joseph. And the, the brothers say, we're, we're not on board with this plan. And so then you have Moses who's born and should have been killed as an infant, but God saves him and calls him to go to his brothers. And he goes and kills an Egyptian in protecting them. And they say, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? So he, he flees and he's in another country. And while he's there, God appears to him in a burning bush and says, I have heard the cries of my people and I'm sending you to save them. And so Moses goes and Moses shows up. And he's here, he's there, as it says, to be both ruler and redeemer. And he, he does the signs, and he does the wonders, and he parts the Red Sea. And they see all of these things, and God uses him to bring about the plagues. And then he leads them to Mount Sinai, and it says they were given living oracles, which is the law. God spoke the law to the people. These are the things that I would have you to do. Now, in this, you see Stephen defending these things, right? He's already shown that he doesn't speak against God. He honors God. He shows that he doesn't speak against Moses. He honors Moses. He doesn't speak against the law. He honors the law. He calls it the living oracles of God. But in this, he's also showing this pattern that God has a plan, and God sends a Redeemer, and God's people reject him. They rejected Joseph. They rejected Moses once. They rejected Moses twice. And then they reject God himself. They say, Aaron, make us a golden calf. Let's head back to Egypt. We need a, a God that we can see before us. Even if it's a golden calf that we can hold in our hands, it seems better to us to worship that than to worship this God that Moses has been sent by. And there's a quote there from the book of Amos in verse 42 and 43, and it talks about these other false gods, Moloch and Rephan, these other false gods that they turn to. And so they turn 
away from Joseph and they turn away from Moses and they turn away from Moses again and they turn away from God. And point four is that the Israelites rejected God's plan. The plan was to use Moses to lead them and they said, no, make us some false idols and let's head back to Egypt. That was their plan. And I, I pray that you're starting to see the pattern now that Stephen's showing them over and over. Here's God's plan. Here's our forefathers rejecting it. Here's God's plan. Here's our forefathers rejecting it. He does continue. There's a little more text. Verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for him, the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So here, what Stephen doing, he's talking about the temple. Right? It's the only thing he hasn't defended, his view of the temple. He says, listen, God instituted it whenever he gave them the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the wilderness. Whenever David wanted to build an actual temple... God said, no, but Solomon got to build the temple. God is the one that, that told them they could build the temple. This was God's plan that they would have this temple. And so again, he's showing that he doesn't speak against the temple, as he's been accused of doing. No, he believes that it was the place where God would meet with them. But he also shows with that quote that even though the temple's special, that Stephen doesn't worship the temple. He worships the God who was in the temple which is very important because some Jewish people came very close to worshiping the temple itself. All right, one last thing that we see from Stephen. I really want you to listen. Even if you've fallen asleep and said, that's too much text for this morning. Just three more verses. So wake up the person next to you, shake just a little bit, and hear verses 51 through 53 as we see the main point that Stephen's been building to this whole time. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Point five, the last point, Israel again rejected God's chosen deliverer. They reject Joseph. They reject Moses twice. They reject God and his plan in the wilderness. And now here Stephen says, it's not just them. They're not the only ones that have done it. You've done it too. And here he's talking about Jesus. He's saying that, that they rejected the prophets, they persecuted the prophets, they did all of these things, they resisted the Holy Spirit, but now he's saying you are also stiff-necked people, stubborn people. You are also resisting the Holy Spirit. It says that they killed 
All the prophets that announce the coming of the righteous one, and righteous one is in capital letters for a reason, because he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the promised Messiah. He's talking about the Savior whom God was going to send. And he's saying that now, not only did they kill all the prophets that talked about the Messiah, you have betrayed and murdered the Messiah himself. Jesus, there's a reason he's called the righteous one. And it's simple. Righteous literally means completely right. Never does anything wrong. Right? It's just the basic meaning of the word. And Jesus is that one. He's the only person who's ever been completely righteous. He's the only person who's never done anything wrong. But even though Jesus lived a full life as a man... And never did a single thing wrong. We know the gospel truth is that he still died a sinner's death. Even though he did everything right, even though he never sinned, he paid the penalty for our sin. For everyone's sin so that when those people respond, when we respond in faith to Jesus Christ, our sins are taken away and we're saved. It's why the gospel is such good news. And he's saying that one, that God, God that left and came from heaven to here in flesh and did that, you have betrayed and killed. So it's not just the 11 sons of Israel that did it. And it's not just our people, our forefathers in Egypt or in the wilderness have done it. You've done it too. Jewish council, you have also rejected God's plan. And you have also rejected the Savior that God sent the ruler and redeemer that came to lead us out of our sin. And we'll see next week that they don't like that a bit. Which, I mean, just think for a moment, that doesn't sound really exciting, does it? They say, yeah, yeah, those guys, they were stiff-necked. Yeah, 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 they did what they shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, and he says, that's you. And they said, oh, that's not going to sit well. But I want us to stop right here for today, though. I just want you to see a pattern that I think is extremely important that you and I have taken part in. Look, it's easy to sit here and say those, those terrible Jews, those dumb Jewish fathers, people in the wilderness, sons of Jacob. How in the world, how in the world could God send them Moses? They could see the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the plagues take place. How in the world could anybody see that and reject God's plan and not follow it? Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that God left heaven and came to earth? you believe that God really died and then came back to life when he was really dead? I do. Do you know what? Sometimes in my life I reject God's plan too. I know what he's called me to do. I know what he's asked me to do. I know what he expects of me, and I do something different anyways. And I say, that Zach, that dumb Zach, how in the world could he believe that, that God died and came back to life and still not do everything that God wants him to do? But that's me. The title of this sermon this morning is Get On Board. Because here's what we see in this pattern. Joshua... Not Joshua. I wonder why I keep saying Joshua. Joseph was God's chosen leader. And the people said, we're not following him. And God said, I'm going to use him anyways. Right? He went to Egypt and he was still the only way that they could be saved. And they said, Moses, 
God's chosen leader, we're not following him. And God used Moses to save them anyways. And people said, Jesus, God's chosen leader, we're not following that guy. But I'll tell you this, there's no other way that people can be saved. Brothers and sisters, God has a plan and he's not changing it just because you or I don't like it. So let's get on board. Let's get on board with God's plan. Let's say, if this is God's plan, then I want to be part of it. Let's recognize that, that when we, as God's people, do the things that God has planned, that it brings about glory to God, and it brings about salvation to sinners, and it brings about peace and hope and joy in our lives, and it brings about contentment in our lives. We've seen the pattern you can reject God, and you can reject God's plan, but it's not going to stop God. So what I'd recommend is not rejecting God's plan. If there are places in your life, you're a Christian here this morning, but there are some things that you've held on to and not given over to God, brothers and sisters, it's time to give it up. Let's quit being stiff-necked, stubborn people, and let's follow the plan that God has for us. And the last thing that I would say that I see in this text over and over and over that I don't want us to miss is, isn't God merciful? It's one of those times when I think everybody's going to say, Amen. So let's, isn't God merciful? He is. Man, why wasn't he just done with those folks? He says, I'll send you Moses. And they say, who made you ruler and judge over us? So you know what? I sent you somebody and you rejected him. I'm done with you. But God didn't. He goes and gets Moses out of the wilderness and says, go back and get my people. And they said, we're still not following him. And you know what, God? We're not going to follow you either. We're going to make a calf. I said, I'm done with you. Picking a new people. God said, no, these are my people. Even though they don't deserve it. They're going to be my people. And I look at you, and I look at me, and all the things that I did before I became a Christian, all the sins that I committed, the terrible things that I thought and said and did, and that was my life, and then I recognized that it was wrong. And I repented of that. And I was forgiven, and my guilt was taken away, and I was made brand new. And I said, thank the Lord that he's given me this sort of forgiveness. And then day after day after day, I'll find myself doing things that I shouldn't be doing, thinking things that I shouldn't be thinking, slipping out of habits that I shouldn't be slipping out of. And every time God should say, you know what, that's it. That was the last straw. I'm done with you. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, no, you're still mine. No, Zach, you're still forgiven. Because of what Christ did in your place, that sin's taken care of too. And that sin's taken care of too. And that sin's taken care of too. And I can't help but get excited about that because that's the kind of God that I serve. One who says, no, I'm not going to be done with you. I'm going to continue the good work that I've begun in you until I bring it to completion. Brothers and sisters, this morning we have before us an opportunity as we do every day, to take up our cross and to die to ourselves. To say, I've been doing it the wrong way. I've been rejecting the God of glory, but I'm not anymore. 
If you've never given your life to him, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that he has still shown great love and mercy to you in sending his son to die. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but you know that you're not living the way that you should, there's mercy to cover all of our sins. I invite you to stand this morning. If you need to repent, I pray that you would repent of your sins. If you need to accept Christ, I pray that you would accept Christ. There are other things that he's calling you to do. I pray that you do those things. This morning we're going to sing, and we're going to start in the second verse, which is odd, but the second verse of the song says, What patience would wait as we constantly roam. Brothers and sisters,